0: feral audio jimmy jimmy crane Karain, jimmy crane's a
1: nerd jimmy crane's an improv nerd jimmy crane's a nerd
0: Hey everybody, this is Jimmy Carrane, and you're listening to another episode of Improv Nerd and we're sponsored by this year's Chicago Improv Festival. Hey improvisers from all over America, do you want to perform at this year's Chicago Improv Festival? Well, if the answer is yes, it's happening May 2nd through the 8th, and it's going to be a blast. They're currently taking submissions in seven different artistic categories, so whatever type of show you do is a show they want to see. They're taking online submissions from now until February 29th. For more information or to send us a submission, go to ChicagoImprovFestival.org. That's ChicagoImprovFestival.org. And have you always wanted to study with me? Jimmy Corain and my award-winning Artist Low Comedy Improv Workshops here in Chicago? Well, now is your chance. My next Artist Low Comedy One Day Workshop is happening Saturday, May 7th. Spots are limited. I take no more than 14 people. So if you want to get into this workshop, I suggest you go online to jimmycorain.com to register. That's jimmycorain.com. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We have another great episode of Improv Nerd for you today, and this is one of our compilation episodes. Uh, What we did was we went through our library of over four years, close to 180 episodes, and we picked out for you some clips from some of our past guests who talk about diversity issues, things like how to use race in comedy and how to avoid playing stereotypes. In this episode, you're going to hear from Kian Peel, Poonam Patel, Edgar Blackman, Chris Redd, and Ali Faranakian. Here it is, the Diversity Compilation episode. Enjoy. We've spoken to a lot of improvisers who've talked to us about how their culture affects their comedy, how they were raised in a certain culture. One of those improvisers is Poonam Patel from the Second City ETC cast, who discusses with us how she uses her parents and Indian culture is an inspiration for her characters and her comedy. Now you you have, uh, on the Second City Network, there is a web series where you do um, a character, is that based on your mother?
2: Yeah, it's. I think it's based on a combination of my parents. Um, so
0: people who haven't seen it, and, and describe the one. I love the one about sex, where you're talking about sex. So can you describe yeah. the character in the one about sex? Because I love to talk about sex.
2: Absolutely. And even though it
0: brings a lot of shame up, I still
2: love. To oh, talk about it. Oh, it's fine. Do you like to talk about sex? Um, I don't really have much to say about it. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't mind. I mean, I'm interested in talking about most things. Okay. So. <laughs> um, but so Neil Dandati, um, who's a good friend of mine, uh, him and I decided to create this series called Chai Chat. And it's um, he plays a dad and I play his wife. Um, and it's just these Indian parents. And we're just giving advice to our daughter. Um, and it's like a straight-to-camera thing. And it's as if we're, like, kind of taping it to, like, tell her, like, this is how you do life. Um, so one of the first episodes is, like, the sex talk. Um, but it's basically just being like, don't have sex. If you have sex, you'll die. So <laughs> and how does, can you
0: just give us a little sample of how
2: the character sounds? Uh, yeah, sure. It's like, um, your childhood cousin Chutki had sex, and next week her daddy died. <laughs> she killed her grandmother for sex. Like... <laughs> Which it's like definitely an exaggeration because I don't even think my parents and I have ever even talked about sex before, but it's what I imagine they would say if we ever did.
0: Um. So so it was a combination of your mom and some other people
2: and my dad. Yeah.
0: Okay, but 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 they never had that conversation about that, and there there weren't that extreme about. Is that in the in the in how you were raised or in the culture or in the, in.
2: Um, because it, it yeah, I think, um, yeah, I don't know. I think we just never talked about it. Uh, it was just kind of like something we just didn't talk about. Um, I think a lot of Indian people are a little more conservative when it comes to that. Um, and also I wasn't having it, so there was nothing to talk about. <laughs> I didn't lose my virginity until I was pretty later on in life. So I, and by that time I kind of knew what I was doing. I mean, who knows? Did but, you lose it
0: to an improviser? No,
2: not at <laughs> all. I did not. No, no. Um, but, yeah, so we just never talked about it. But, like, the mannerisms are very similar to my parents. They do, like, Indian people do talk about, like, well, you know, this girl's, this guy, and th- her his daughter did this, and this is what happened to her. And, like, oh, yeah, but if you do that, that like, it's very... It's very, like, superstitious as well. There's lots of, like, old wives' tales. Give me,
0: give me an example of
2: one. Like, um, if your palm itches or if you're hiccuping, I mean, someone's thinking about you.
0: In a good way or a bad
2: way? In a good way. Okay. But if you, like, are thinking a bad thought about someone and then, like, you stub your toe or you hurt yourself, it's, like, because you were thinking a bad thought.
0: That's not far from Catholicism.
2: There's a lot of guilt involved in it.
0: Ali Faranaki is the founder of the People's Improv Theater in New York City. And if you're in the know, we just, they call it the pit. And he experienced bullying as a kid because he was Iranian. And in this clip, he tells us how being defended by one of his schoolmates helped him shape his philosophy and how he runs the People's Improv Theater. And here's something that I didn't realize when I was doing the research that you actually were Iranian. Yeah, I mean, you still are, still like, yeah. Yeah. and so, that hasn't changed. But the, <laughs> but the thing I find interesting is it never was part of your comedy. Did you feel that you had to downplay your nationality?
3: No. I mean, I grew up in you know Connecticut, North Carolina, you know, and so to me it was never. Anything that I thought of until the hostage crisis when I was a seventh grader, and then I became very aware of it.
0: Did kids make fun of you?
3: Yeah. Like, 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 in what way? Well, I remember, you know, like one time I was getting on the bus to go um, and play. I think it was soccer for my school, and all of a sudden, a large group of kids began to erupt in a chant of "Send the Klan to Iran, send the Klan (laughs) to Iran." It's like, oh jeez. So I got in the back of the bus. In my mind, that's when I was like, you know, send the fucking clan to Iran. You'll see what happens. We'll cut them down. Send the clan to Iran. <laughs> yeah, send them all. <laughs> send every one of them, you know. But then I got in the back of the bus, and this guy came up to me. His name was Ken Makovic. And his uncle was, I think at that time, the head coach of the Atlanta Falcons. And he came up to me, and he said, look, he was like a senior, I believe. He said, look, if anybody gives you any grief anymore, you come to me. I got your back. I was like, really? He was like, yeah. I was like, Wow. So that had to happen—that event to have a guy like that to do that to realize that I would want to be that kind of guy for other people later. Um, but later in life, it was a lot like quantum leap. Like I didn't realize like I looked like this because I grew up, you know. And then I what did you grow up? up? It was very white. The
0: Danbury, Connecticut well, was Danbury, very.
3: Yeah, population 150. You know, small country town. You know, we had motorcycles by age eight, shooting bows and arrows and chasing Sasquatch. You know, that was kind of the life there, and then when I was a sixth grader, we moved to a place called Bermuda Run, which was, you know, my dad saw this ad in a a newspaper when we were visiting Iran with my mother and sister that said, gated community. What is this gated community? And next thing you know, he bought this house while we were gone, and it was on the first hole of a golf course, which I, we still live there, they still live there. So uh, yeah, I always thought of myself as just like, you know, a suburban kid. Is that the, the, the,
0: when you were in the, the guy who was taking care of you in the back of the bus, is that where you got, because is I've been around the pit the last uh, day or two, there's this sense of like, and even in Chicago, Second City or Iowa, fighting for the little guy. Was that where do you think it came from?
3: Yeah, I think that time in my life, those 444 days were definitely a crucible that defined, you know, who I was going to be. I might have been a bully if it weren't for that period of time, if that had happened, you know. Because um, Iran was definitely on the way at that point to becoming one of the cool ethnicities. Like, you know, Irish or Italian, you know. Um, I remember going to Washington, D.C. on a class trip in uh, like third grade. We. Uh, sold light bulbs to go to Washington, D.C. That was that's a different story. But, um, and we were taking a, a tour around D.C. and the, the bus driver said, and on your right is the Iranian embassy, considered by many to be the most beautiful embassies in Washington, D.C. And everyone was like, Ali's from Iran, Ali's Iran. <laughs> I mean, back then it was really just black, white, and then it was, I was one brown dude. The Hispanics hadn't even arrived at that point. You know, on any level where I was growing up.
0: Well, Keegan-Michael Key and Jordan Peele of Comedy Central's Key and Peele, and we all know these guys, and that that, that show is just amazing, and uh, just picked up two Emmy nominations. Uh, They talk to us about being biracial in both comedy and growing up, so in life in general. Uh, They also talk about how President Obama, being elected, uh, allowed them to perform more biracial-orientated material. Now you have been said that that this show couldn't have got made a couple years ago. Mm-hmm.
4: Why? Well, the big thing is Obama, I think, uh-huh. you know, and I think that, you know, as actors Keegan and I being biracial, that we we've noticed firsthand the uh, perception of African Americans in in Hollywood. Uh-huh. We you know we go out for the same sort of roles all the time, you know, doing the Obama bits and the. Uh, being able to capitalize on that was a huge selling point to Comedy Central but I think that the, the world knows the like it,
0: more Obama is that did you?
4: oh you know we came in ready to tote that
1: ready to Obama hit you, yeah, know, yeah, that, yeah, that was, nah. you know clearly
4: <laughs> with the success that SNL had of course a few years ago with with the Beret, stuff. You know, uh-huh. we just know it's, it's just fertile ground for comedy
0: but the other thing <laughs> is that you guys it, it's a, it, a, a, a the biracial thing like and I heard you say it's like for you it's like been a coming out party for biracial what prevented you to do more biracial material early on in your careers
4: well uh for me and we have slightly different experiences uh mainly because i think you know people meet me I'm a black guy. With Keegan, I think he probably gets more of the... You know, what are you? Where, yeah. where are you from? You get that? People oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah. What, what do people say?
1: People think I'm Middle Eastern. People, okay. Some people think I'm a very, very light-skinned Indian, as okay. like an East Indian. Okay. I've, I mean, I've gotten the gamut. I've gotten... I've had a person say you you could be Sicilian, mm-hmm. and I'm like, well, I, I guess I, I guess if you say so, I guess I could be. I, I'm not
0: right. And then it'll then make you know, me God, God. feel better if you say Sicilian. Sicilian. I'm
1: like, I'm <laughs> <person>, yeah, you know? <laughs> please, yeah, yeah. I'm Sicilian, please, yeah. But I've gotten. I mean, uh, there's a you know, in our estimation, and certainly from my own life experience, there's a more there's a more amorphous phenomenon taking place here. Yeah,
4: with Jordan, you just get. Well, it, it, it's it's assumed that I'm you know yeah 100% black, right? And that uh, that's you know been something that in many situations feels like it works to my favor. You know, it's a it's a, it's not confusing. It uh, especially ca- when we talk about casting. It's uh-huh. like all right, well, where do we where do we put this biracial guy? I don't know. Right. Uh, but uh, you know, I think the the big fear that over time I learned is that to to sort of announce or to introduce I have a white mom. It's not always uh, appreciated Mm -hmm. by who you you, can you you explain the shame that is involved in being biracial?
0: Because I'm a white guy, you know, and I don't want to talk that I know it. I I know shame very well. I don't know the shame of what you guys have.
1: What it's it's that because we have a white parent, we cannot legitimately or fully experience. Uh, Whatever you want to say And I'll say it in the negative Essentially the negative The struggle The uh, uh, um, You know Kind of Abject uh, Unsolicited hatred um, uh, Unfairness That we've That we have somehow Not had that experience Or that we're not Capable of having that experience Because of 50% of our DNA And And then at the same time We will feel Or I can't speak for Jordan but I think I do speak for Jordan. Mm-hmm. I'll feel a sense of shame that I like the Gin Blossoms more than I like Eric B. and Rakim. So that's, that's right, Ben. We're going to go back to the '80s. Ben, ben, the, the, ben, the, ben, producer. ben yes, the producer, yes. Yeah. yeah.
4: So, yeah. racial lines aside, that is a shameful. <laughs>
1: shameful but. We'll but, out gin know. Blossoms. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, but I mean, that's why when I was in college, I clung to Lenny Kravitz. Uh, because here's an artist, and it's why, as a high schooler, I clung to Jimi Hendrix. Here's an African American man playing music I enjoy, um, and so I would feel a sense of shame about, oh, I'm supposed to like rap, I'm supposed to enjoy R and B. I'm not a good black person if I don't enjoy these things uh, as fully as I as as other. Uh, people do now. I, I, is, is, I've known you for a while. This is the angriest
0: I've ever seen. <laughs> do, you, do you experience that? With, I mean, it's passionate.
4: It's passion. It's passion. Yeah, yeah
1: uh-huh. you, you, it's, uh, what, but we've never had this conversation. We haven't. We've never had this conversation. And, 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 I, and I do feel passionately about this. Uh-huh. I don't. I don't. It goes back to my previous point. Why can't we? Uh, em, you can embrace one of two things if you feel so inclined. Either embrace that we're not a monolith and uh-huh. that, we're a mo- that our culture is mo- is a mosaic, right? Or embrace that there's a larger thing that exists in the universe, just known as Homo sapiens, mm-hmm. and how we should interact with each other. Period. Mm-hmm. Um, to pick your poison, you know. But th- that that to me, that's why I've I've always been a great admirer of the the silent masters Mm -hmm. I'm a huge Burt Williams fan Mm -hmm. because of the merit of what Burt Williams did as a performer he happened to be African American Mm -hmm. now that that shame makes me also say it's good that I like Burt Williams that makes me a little bit more legitimate Mm -hmm. why I don't I guess what I don't comprehend Jimmy is what the threat is what's the threat if I like rock and roll or more African Americans liked rocket. Well, I don't understand what the threat is. Do you think the culture's gonna disappear? I don't know. Part of my part of the passion you're seeing or the anger is frustration mm-hmm. of not knowing what am I supposed to do?
0: Well, stereotypes in comedy is a very tricky thing. It really takes a lot of balance. And many non-white comedians try to find that balance between incorporating elements of their culture while not showcasing or being a caricature or a stereotype of their ethnicity. Poonam Batel talks to us here about how she didn't want her ethnicity to overshadow the comedy and how she displays Indian stereotypes without making herself a character, without making herself the butt of the joke. You have not done any Indian characters in the, in, 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 uh, at the ETC. Why do you think that is?
2: Um... I don't know. I think, uh, like when I first started out in comedy, I kind of purposely shied away from it.
0: What, what um, was your thought?
2: I didn't want to come off like I was making fun of like my people, you know. And I, it seemed like it would be kind of like a cheap laugh because it seemed like in my head, that's maybe what people were expecting me to do. And like, sure, I could go on and do an accent and people would love it, and it's not a bad thing. But I kind of was like, well. That's not all I want to be. I want to be a comedian first, I and mean, then I also am Indian, and that influences my voice. But I think with Chai Chat, I found, like, a good way to, like, celebrate it um, because that was, like, really important to both Neil and I. It's like we never want to come off, like, we're making fun of our parents or we're making fun of Indian people because we are Indian ourselves, you know? Um,
0: so how do you balance that? How do you make it, you know, because there is a stereo. I don't care what it is. Right. There is... There's a stereo we need to use the stereotype. Absolutely. So how do you do it and not make it a caricature?
2: Um, well, I think you like recognize that like, okay, I'm basing it off my parents. My parents are also the smartest people I know. Do something with an accent, but don't make them stupid just because they have an accent, kind of thing.
0: Do you think that, um I, I think of The Simpsons and a... Yeah. Period. Do you think that that right now, and I think it's gonna evolve. I think anytime right. like we, we get it, you know, like uh, diversity, we start to see different diversity. It, it kind of evolves. Do you think that right now uh, th- that there is, like, portraying praying as stupid?
2: Now I don't think there is. Five years ago? Um, Maybe, but okay. I think, like, definitely now um, it's nice also because you see Indian characters on TV that aren't just like a token Indian person on a show, they Mm -hmm. just happen to be another character. But then it's nice because then you can accessorize that character with certain jokes about their culture as well. Um, But yeah, I think it's definitely evolving.
0: In this clip, Keegan-Michael Key and Jordan Peele talk to us about breaking that stereotype that black comedians have to be angry and how they instead choose to be likable while presenting the more touchy or sensitive dark issues. Do you think, because they, they go, oh, what you guys do isn't edgy. Do you think it's because there's this expe- expectation that black comedians, if they're going to talk about race, they have to be angry like Chris Rock or Eddie Murphy or Richard Pryor. You guys have gr- you're li- very likable personalities, right. and that's who you are. Do you think there's an expectation like they've got to be angry? I've, I've known your, your work for a long time. You've never been angry.
4: Well, you know, the thing about the edge, it really is in the eye of the beholder. I find it kind of of ironic that we get criticized as being, uh, you know, toothless or edgy in some ways, but then they're the same people who are offended by our material. (laughs) So what we do, what we're constantly doing is putting ourselves in situations we know we're going to be criticized for. We know that it's it's more complicated and this is just funny. And we go out on some scary ledges sometimes. Uh You know, we have an entire scene where we play slaves uh-huh. and it's I don't know that's not edgy I don't know what it is right I mean who, who does that
0: but I saw that sketch and, and, and it's not what I, I don't it's not what like people are expecting from black comedians you right. think that are talking about race. That's you're not right. coming out there. You're you're both very good actors, and you and there's this likability, and it's a
4: it's a very well acted sketch. And I think that's how I define our edge. We we like to do something that's different than what's expected of us, um, and we like to you know we like to prove that, uh, as Keegan uh, you know puts it so well. Black you know black people, not a monolith. There's all sorts of different people, and any time you begin to you know, generalize or you know, lump all of us together and say uh, uh, you know for any reason to say that you know yeah you you can never make fun of black people or they can never be the butt of a joke you know it just starts getting problematic.
1: I think like you know when you think about Chris Rock, Chris Rock is, has has forayed into that place where uh-huh. he said you know it's uh, he's saying um, people say. Uh, Oh, this dude is just acting like a nigger, uh-huh. and Chris Rock—he's not acting like a nigga. He's acting stupid.
0: Uh-huh.
1: It wouldn't matter if he was Chinese, if he was Icelandic, if he was fucking from Austria, or if he was from—if he, if he was from the Bronx. He's acting stupid. Come on, black people. The black people will say we gotta respect our brothers and sisters. So the same people that say, "Why are you acting niggerish? Why are you saying that stupid behavior?" Or ig- human ignorant behavior is not black behavior, it's human ignorant behavior, do you know what I mean? Uh-huh. So I think what we try to, what we do very often is, we try to, I mean, the, the, the limb, you want edge, here's the edge. The edge is, stop acting like victims, black people. Stop acting like victims. Oh, you just saying we're supposed to get over it? A little bit, let's start getting over it. And then that, that same black person may say to me, but you light-skinned it, so fuck you. Because <laughs> you ain't got it hard. I ain't got it hard. You're giving me shit right now. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So the fact that that's the, to me, that's the new edge. If Obama's the president, the new edge is be accountable. That's the new edge. You know what I mean? It's like, how many more scenes do we need to see? Richard Pryor did it perfectly the first time. How many more scenes do we need to see about black people getting over on white people? Mm -hmm. I get it. I get it. That's wish fulfillment. But in the midst of wish fulfillment, here's a new wish fulfillment. Let's pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. And so that's – I hope I get criticism on that. I hope that – and when we see – like it's funny. You see young black people like the people who saw our show last night. A lot of young black people, I think they're already moving past it. Mm -hmm. Now, this Trayvon thing is the most horrible hiccup possible. Mm -hmm. But I think young people are noticing that they still have to be wary But at the same time we've got to move let's let's can we just start being humans please and stop talking about melanin count Mm -hmm. it that's what that's part of you know
0: chris red is an amazing stand-up he was a member of the second city etc here in chicago and he really shed a lot of light on this subject and this subject is when i was starting out in improv if you portrayed if a white performer portrayed a black character it was perceived as being racist and in this clip Chris Redd talks to us about how white actors can successfully portray black people without being offensive what do you (laughs) feel about white improvisers playing black characters it's cool as long as you can do it and
5: have a point I I, you know I'll play a white character or any other race I guess but like if you have a point you know and it's and it's you're really genuinely doing it From a place of like this is the art form taking on this character like you would do any other character if you're given that much commitment but if you're just doing it to make fun of something I don't know again like I make fun of people all the time so I don't don't really know know, if I'm the best person to like sit up here and be a spokesperson for it but um, it's just like playing a black character is more than like yo 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 this that shit's annoying as fuck you know what I mean? Like, like we don't all walk around like Muppets and just like, you know what I mean? Do this shit and all that shit, or like the Cleveland show neck thing. Like I hate that type of shit. You know? Uh, it's just it's just like there's stereotypes to everything. So if you're gonna play a black character, play him. Play him the way Robbie Downey Jr. played. Him. Make a funny as hell.
0: Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and like Tropic Thunder. Yeah, and commit I mean. to it. And oh, you weren't offended by that at no,
5: all? No, I thought that was hilarious.
0: <laughs> but hilarious. there's some but, but there's some black comics that will be offended by that, There's right? going
5: to be black people, any people offended with anything ever, right? There's always going to be somebody offended by something.
0: Except Tyler Perry. Uh,
5: nah, I, Tyler Perry is too rich to give a fuck about any of y'all. Oh,
0: right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm
5: sure things offend him, you know, because <laughs> he got into it with Spike Lee. That's a whole other podcast. But...
6: Yeah.
5: Uh, <laughs> But, you know, when we're talking about uh, militant or even, like, just strong black people who have opinions about race and, are, and, and like, want things to change, they're going to be sensitive to a lot of different things. Well, as you know, the
0: N-word is a very sensitive word, and Chris Red uh, gives us this great explanation and really his policy on using the N-word and his attitudes towards white performers also using that word on stage. What do you, you use the N-word, uh, what is your feeling about using the N-word? Yeah,
5: right stage. I'm I'm not gonna get fair account about it. Um, for me, it's uh, it's a word that I use. I do use, and in your life, in in my in my life, yeah. Okay. Um, because it's been habit for so long, and I'll eventually like get to a point where I'm, I don't want to use it anymore. But right now, I just I just do, and it's and it's like um, <laughs> none of this is. I mean, people are gonna disagree all all day with what I'm, what I'm about to say. But I feel like. Yes, people who know they shouldn't say that word should not say that word to to certain people unless they want a certain outcome, and that's it. But I, am I going to police people for saying it? No. Do I expect that? Do I know that people of all races say it? Yeah, I know that. Um, and and I respect I respect uh, uh, people more that don't say it. And, even, and in but in scenes in like on the stage, depending on the context and how things go, if. I might get you to try to say it. Like, that That <laughs> might be a game for me, especially if I know that you don't, like as a person. as How would you have way.
0: felt if I would have said it?
5: Uh, oh, the scene would have been about that. Okay. And I, would have been, I, I, I would have just, I would have just made it funny. Okay. <laughs> um, it was a fun way, but also like, hey, I don't like that. Unless it was like a legitimate, I've seen, some, I've seen some scenes where it's been legitimately used in a way that was smart, and it's like, if you have a point about it, then that's cool. If it's just like, a, Shock value thing, I don't
0: respect it. You've seen it with white performers,
5: yeah. Well, I've seen it with like Louis, is the, best, like, the Louis CK, the, yeah, the smartest of all time. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was like this a smart bit of like he and he said it, and it wasn't about saying it, but he, his point was so much deeper and so much and so poignant that it was like, oh man, I can't do nothing but respect that. But if you just like, I've, I've seen stand ups, uh, when I would go into like a set and they'll be in the middle of a set where there's like no like black people in the audience and. Just say, it, just say it, and it brings nothing to the joke. It's like nothing to like, the point of what he's trying or to Or just make. saying
0: it for shock value, basically.
5: Yeah. yeah, just saying it for shock value, and that's it. Like, I'll say it with certain characters that would say it. I'm not going to just say it just to say it, because I, I want to get a rise out of people, especially in the white audience, or the black audience. Like, I, we're all used to the word. It's, not, it's like saying anything else to me.
0: I remember I did a show at Second City, God Show. Tim O'Malley yeah. and uh, Norm Holly directed, a great director. Yeah. And I had to play a black character. And I had to use that word. And I gotta tell you something, it was the hardest thing for me to do. Because, That's great. But I felt so much shame afterwards. And I would, at the end of the show, I would check to, you know, the black audience members out there. I was like, oh my god, they're gonna come after me. Because I, I was not comfortable. Even as in the character, as the character, yeah. I felt uncomfortable. Either.
5: Yeah, this is, I'm saying this now, but I'm saying I'm probably a little bit more sensitive than I'm probably leading off to be.
0: Okay. But, uh,
5: to it. But, I mean, in what, so you had a, so a black character. I was playing have a black. That word.
0: Though. Right. Okay. You know but I, mean? I was playing a black woman. It was in. It was in the script. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. You know what? <laughs> that I feel, sounds that awful.
5: <laughs> yeah. I just feel like they could have just got a black
0: woman to play this role. Wait. So this is. I don't, okay. We we play, so Tim did his it was is his his life, and so we all played multiple characters. Right. We, uh, um,
5: and there was like no black people. There was no black people. <laughs> First mistake. Okay. okay. No. <laughs> But it happens. So, And you had to play a black woman? Yes. And, and what was, so what was the reason she said it?
0: I, it was just in the diet. I, I, re- I don't even remember. It was like a response to what he was saying. or something I would like. probably have a problem with it. Would okay. I hate you forever? No. But that night, we would have, I, I'd be like, uh,
5: that was unnecessary. Mm-hmm. Me how I deal with it, I just like, yeah, I just say my bold statements. Like, that was some bullshit. Y'all should have just had it. Even if you just had one, a black guy, as soon as you came up to the word, nigga. So just so you <laughs> see, I've had that in shows happen too. Like, and it's a fun little thing, you know what I mean? Because it has, a, again, if it has a point. But like, uh, when improvisers go up and they're like, being a black character or being a black woman and feel like to, to play a black man or black woman, you have to say nigga is like crazy to me and that's offensive as hell. Uh, if there's a purpose to it, you know what I mean? And i no one's perfect. So i use it. But I just feel like it's a word that I could use and y'all can't and y'all should
0: get over it. Edgar Blackman, who was a member of the Second City Main Stage, talked to us about the scene, Baseball People, from the Second City Review, South Side of Heaven. And how he used baseball as an analogy for racism and how this scene was chock full of the n-word.
7: So what... So the, the idea behind Baseball People is I wanted to find a way to call white people niggers and make them feel it. So I used baseball as that mapping device. I said that the Cubs are the niggers of baseball. (laughs) So so the fun thing about this in Chicago is that the, the fan base of the Cubs is going to be, you know, largely by percentage more white than the fan base for the Sox because of the locations of these parks. So for these, these lovable losers, I was like, let's call these people niggers and see how it makes them feel. So to me, the Cubs are the niggers of baseball for these reasons. Um, they, they never really win.
6: Um,
7: everyone loves to hang out with them, even though you may not be a real Cubs fan. Um, and if, and if they did win, if they did win, we would all fucking be at that party. But if you were from another city and the Cubs beat you in the World Series, you'd be like, I can't believe we lost to the fucking Cubs. <laughs> and that's how I think that people feel about Barack Obama. They're like, this nigga went and won the fucking... I can't believe it. And they have tried to call that man a nigger in every way without saying it from the beginning of his run for presidency to the, even to this very single day, they're like, the, the fact that I, when we did, when we did the last show, I had a woman yell at me from the audience, you're not an American, as I was doing a Barack Obama impression. I was like, for the fact that that even became, the president, the president of the United States had to show us his motherfucking birth certificate, to me is an absolute insanity. So I, we wrote this scene where the Cubs and the Soxies, two, um, I come in and and Sam Richardson is my brother.
0: Now Sam is black, just Sam is also black, back. yes.
7: Which is great because there's no way I can do this scene if Sam's not there. Why? Because then it becomes one black man in a room full of white men doing this thing. It's like three-on-one. What it allows me to do is be the character that says, y'all the nigga based, nigga kill, nigger kill yourself. I call Tim Mason a nigga in that scene. Yeah. Um, and Tim is this tall, tall white Dave and Matthews fan. Right, like, yeah. And I, <laughs>
6: yeah.
7: Couldn't be, couldn't be more Irish. You know what I mean? Like he's so beautiful. He's such a you great man. You just called
0: me the N word.
7: Yes, yeah. and he's so sweet about it. So there's that, there's that energy. There's Tim Robinson, who's like, uh, can we all just not fight and say these words? Right. And then there's, and then Sam, who is going, Sam is going to play your more um, mainstream African American man. He's going to play an educated African American man. He's going to essentially play us. He's playing myself, and he's playing himself. I am playing this other black dude that I now get to do because I'm, not, I'm now not just this one thug black dude in a sea full of white men. There gets to be two black perspectives in this scene, one of which is mine and one of which is Sam's, which protects me to say the things that I want to say. So kudos to Sam.
0: Did me. you get any pressure? I mean, because Second City, it's a lot of white tourists that go there. Mm-hmm. Did you get any pressure from management nope. or the director? Not or? Once. What about people afterwards? mm I think people want to be challenged. I think that we are afraid to do it to them. Now, let me tell you something that I did. And I feel a little shame about this, but Norm was directing a show I was in. It was called God Show. OK. And Tim O'Malley, who was a teacher of yours. It Absolutely. was about his... I've seen the show. You saw, you saw the show? Yes, sir. Do, did you see me in the show or not?
7: I think Gelman was playing your part that night.
0: OK. So there's a part where I have to come out as a character that Tim was in rehab, and it's a black character, so I'm a white guy playing black hair, and I have to say the N-word. Mm-hmm. And every time I would It was would get,
7: definitely Gilman who played your
0: part. Okay, great. So every, every, every time I would I'd get off stage, and I would feel... You know, and it, it got laughs and whatever. I would feel a bit ashamed. Mm-hmm.
6: Yeah.
0: What's, your, what's your feeling on that? I mean, you're a white man, dude. I don't know, I
7: don't know if there's a way for you to say nigger and feel... Especially, especially portraying a black man,
0: mm-hmm.
7: there's no way for you. I don't know how you could do that and not feel a little bad,
0: right? I I felt ter- when I would get off stage <laughs> and I would see black people in the audience, I would just I would just I I wanted to avoid them because I thought they would confront
7: me. I say faggot in the show we're doing mm-hmm. right now, and I say it for a purpose. I'm not playing, but if I if I was if I was playing a gay man, and I had to say that word a lot, like in a show if that was the part I was playing. I think saying that word a lot makes me feel uncomfortable. But the reason I say it in the show that we're doing right now is because I know that that
0: word makes people feel uncomfortable, and I want them to feel uncomfortable when I say it. So the line is, you, you, we can never really figure out this line, can we? Hmm. I think if you, you, you make it funny enough,
7: you could probably shit on a person's face and get away with
6: it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: for lack of a more elegant way of saying it. There is going to be a lot of people that listen to this podcast and they're they're that they're going to be doing that in, in improv. <laughs> I, like I heard Edgar, Edgar said, yeah. <laughs> Either that or i am making an exercise in my classes. <laughs> Though Key Appeal is now a critic and fan favorite, when it first started out, before people caught on to their style of humor, some critics thought they were making black people the butt of the jokes. Here they explained to us their comedic philosophy so here's the thing because you guys the, I love the show it's gotten great reviews but it also hasn't got it's gotten some criticism and I want to float this theory sure. to you guys the Huffington Post said that you make uh, black people the butt of the jokes okay now do you take that as a compliment or
1: do you feel you have to defend it I, you know I we don't take it as a I feel that we have to defend it and and and, and here's the first thing we'd say and this is something that Jordan has uttered in the past what would you have us do and 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 as and as we try to answer that question There's actually a rebuttal uh-huh. another Huff Post rebuttal <laughs> that said we're, we're done now. Trust me. We're not in a post racial world. Mm-hmm. We're in a post racial racial world
6: mm-hmm.
1: What but does that mean it means that we can't ignore it, but we do need to move forward. Okay, so when is the day? Let's we're gonna try and start doing comedy. That's just funny, uh-huh. and I'm sorry comedy only works when someone's behaving badly we happen to have melanin in our skin Mm -hmm. so if we're behaving badly for a comic effect to move a scene forward and we're black then so be it Mm -hmm. that's your baggage sir Mm -hmm. and i think what it comes to the guy who wrote the rebuttal he actually said he said we're moving past that always uplifting if you're uplifting go write a nice drama Mm-hmm. Go write co- The Color Purple, too. We're trying to do comedy over here. Mm-hmm. So I think now there are times when we use, there are racial linchpins that we can use and we try to examine them uh-huh. um, for satirical reasons. But for us, the priority is always comedy. It's always making it, what's the kernel that makes it funny first? And so we just as soon have the show be as colorblind as it can be. So people go, oh, that guy's an idiot, not a black idiot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know? Or as J- Jordan said when that guy said, the toothless. And they don't like, you know, and, and, and the butt of the, all the jokes are black people. Well, somebody has to be the butt of the joke and we happen to be black. I don't agree with him that all of the jokes always come down to a black person being punished, which is what I think he's saying. Mm-hmm. Because if a black person is the perpetrator and another black person is the recipient or the hero of the scene, well, didn't, didn't one per, black person also win? Mm-hmm.
4: I mean you know the real thing is anybody who uh, the vast majority of people who I think object to comedy about a group are of that group and would laugh on the uh, at the expense of another group yeah. so I I t- yeah. I, t- I tend to not Give too much legitimacy to uh, maybe this is a maybe I need to work on this, but I don't don't give too too much legitimacy to people complaining about oh now you this one pushed it too far, brother. I, I, I can tell you five jokes on other races I know will make you laugh. That, that might better, be, better beyond this. Better beyond this. But, that might be an assumption, but I, I... But aren't
0: you guys healing? I mean, first of all, you're saying I'm biracial. We're going to make fun of it on right. the show because your point of view is very... Some sketches are very clear that it's coming from a biracial point mm-hmm. of view. Mm-hmm. It's You're you're acknowledging the shame, which I think there's a lot of comedy in shame. Yes, mm-hmm. absolutely. And, and I'm sure a lot of people in the biracial community is contacting you, right? Mm-hmm. They seem to enjoy and, the show.
4: Oh, and you know... And, they uh, feel now uh, unfettered. And I, um, I yes! Yeah. And I do feel like, you know, the the people who do have these problems, it's, A, first of all, I mean, any any sketch show has, you know, has its critics. Sure. If, if it's successful, if you're uh-huh. pushing Boundary, it has its critics. And I do feel like, you know, our our handfuls of critics out there, it, it, they're old-fashioned. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not, they're not, they're, they're that mentality, I think, will continue to die out. And where the kids are at right now is... It's, you can see, you know, we do these, you know, we do some live shows at colleges and stuff. You can see that the world is changing even from when we were uh, just, there. Just,
1: lots of
0: things don't concern them. It's been great to see how over the years that the improv scene has become more diverse. Now, one comedian who had some great insights on this topic is Chris Red. While he feels that improv is still not popular in the black community, he does acknowledge that the improv community has become more diverse over the years.
5: Why isn't there
0: more uh, black people in improv?
5: I think it's the uh, institutions, for one, are, are um, placed in parts of the city that just aren't heavily induced with a lot of black people. So like, and, and so we're not introduced to it as much. Like, we have stand-up. We know stand-up. You know, we have stand-up clubs all day. Everybody knows what stand-up comedy is. Um, you, in, improv is not as uh, universally known where, where, where we're from. So you have to travel. To see it, or you have to like really dig to see it, and it's just and it's also just not, uh, not so it's not cool, it's not, it's getting cooler, most definitely. There's people who are like, when I first started though, like I was out, you know, on the south side doing jokes, and you know, I was a ton doing stand up, and I would tell them about improv, and um, they would be like, No, you need to focus on stand up, just focus on stand up, like, fuck that shit, you know, and then now they're all trying to come take classes, so it's so it's um, yeah, I think it's just like. The coolness of it, the accessibility. I mean, it's expensive to do, and it doesn't pay. And um, and, and that, that alone like marks off a lot of it because a lot of us in the city were struggling, man. So we we got to make it. We, you can't you can't do stuff that you not get paid for it unless you like really have a true love for it. Unless you're introduced at a young age, you know. A lot of these. I mean, even me, I never went to like a, like one of those. Um, they have that summer camps where you get to be intro- introduced to it at like eight. Or, or five, you know. I, if I hadn't been introduced to this at five, oh my God, I probably wouldn't know any of you. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, I'd have been working so hard, like, just to do comedy and acting alone. So I think it's like just the exposure to it, yeah. and then once you're exposed, seeing enough people like you to make you be like, oh, I could do this. Yeah. Um, because there are so many white actors that coming up, especially when you're not playing with somebody who's a veteran. You have a lot of people who are saying a lot of ignorant shit while they're trying to find themselves. And so you could be in one class, have somebody say something that you don't like, and that turns you off from improv forever, you know. Um, But I think it's it's integrating a lot, man. Like now, when I go to Second City, I see way more black people there than I did when I started. And I'm sure that that's happened for every um, like Tim Meadows or whoever else went through the the program. I'm sure it's it's just it's increasing. Now, I mean, you got the tour company has like black people. I mean, there's just way more black people now. (laughs) <laughs> uh and I think as it as it continues to build, there'll be just more people who will really want to do this art form, and it'll start to change I think the scene will start to change, but it all did start from like a white boys club as we called it, you know
0: that's what you guys called it
5: uh yeah, a little bit i mean you read up you know really down close thing at first he didn't even think black people were smart enough to improvise. he is what everybody will consider the creator of this whole thing so i i mean, yeah, it had to take a little time to get to us, but
0: In this next clip, Keegan-Michael Key and Jordan Peele talk to us about what's changed in the improv community that's making it more diverse and how sketch television shows have opened doors for African-American performers.
2: Well, you guys, like, because when
0: I started, there was no African-American to do it. Now, what do you think's changed with that? We've talking
1: about this a we, bit. We, we talk about this actually a lot. I'll be honest. I don't, I don't know that a lot has changed. Okay. I mean, I feel like I see more students mm-hmm. uh, in, uh, in the training centers and stuff like that. Same thing at UCB and Second City in Los Angeles and, and um, even the Groundlings. But to be quite honest, I think right now it's still kind of proportionate to the actual population of the country. Mm-hmm. So, but, but it's artistic. So then the proportions even less. Mm-hmm. So, you know... I, it, maybe it's 15% of the students
4: um, one, one thing we talk about a lot we talked talking about the other day is that it's a theory that you know African Americans like everybody follow you, you follow your heroes uh-huh. you know so I think one thing that might have changed is you know there's all you know in the past 10 years Mad TV SNL have both you know sort of Broken, broken past the one black person rule. Right, so that's right, one right, thing. right, right, right. And then, you know, uh, uh, that said we think that, you know, part of the, the problem or uh, the reason for it is that, especially with improv, is that, you know, young black improvisers go into hip-hop. Mm-hmm. You know, any, I feel
1: like... Because there's more money in it. Well, yeah. Yeah, so money. Also, yeah, and if your mind works that way, you only know to go into music. Mm-hmm. If you want to do... Com- if you're black and you want to do comedy... You do stand up, right? Mm-hmm. That's what you know to do. Punam Patel talks to
0: us about how comedy and theater have become more prevalent in Indian culture and why Indian comics are rising in popularity. The Indian culture support that.
2: Um, I wouldn't say they didn't support it. I think like it was just very jarring. Um, for I think the Indian culture, like for what I'm doing now. I think right. back then, like dancing is like a huge part of the culture, and uh-huh. I did a lot of like traditional dance uh-huh. and. I even, like, choreographed a traditional dance team in college. But um, I think you do that, you have fun, and then you, like, go become a doctor or, like, you know, go into business or, like, be a lawyer or something like that. Um, So I think now it's more prevalent, and so now they, like, see more Indians on TV. So they're like, oh, no, Indian people do this too. It's not just something other people do. do.
0: Why do you think we're now seeing more, not only... Indian actors, but we're also seeing comics with a strong point of view and a strong voice. Why do you think that is?
2: I don't know. I think yeah, I'm not really sure. I guess it's just there's more out there and I think as this like first generation of Indians grow up in America they're like coming more out of like the traditional roles that they thought maybe they were growing up with, like kind of the plans maybe their families had for them. They're kind of seeing other people go out of it, so maybe they're inspired to as well. And, I mean, Indian people are really funny. <laughs> like, my parents are the funniest people I know. Um, so, yeah, maybe they're just, like, seeing it more so they're realizing they could do it too.
0: And there you have it. Another episode of Improv Nerd is in the Can, the compilation diversity episode. I'd like to thank our past guests, Kian Peel, Poonam Patel, Chris Redd, Ali Faranakian, and Edgar Blackman. And a special thanks to Andrew Smith for putting this episode together. Also, I'd like to thank my producer, Dan Schiffmacher. He's the one who makes me sound so slick and so professional. If it wasn't for Dan, you wouldn't be hearing my voice right now. Also, follow us on social media, Uh, go to Improv Nerd, our Facebook page, and like us, because it really helps with my low self-esteem. Follow us on Twitter, Improv underscore Nerd, and go to our wonderful YouTube channel, Improv Nerd Podcast, all one word. We are also part of a growing podcast collective called FeralAudio.com. Check out all the innovative, unique, and hilarious podcasts at FeralAudio.com. I'd like to thank our sponsor today, the Chicago Improv Festival. For more information, go to ChicagoImprovFestival.org. And of course, I'd like to thank you for listening. And until next time, remember, walk, don't run. Our incredible YouTube channel at Improv Nerd Podcast, all one word. I want to thank our sponsor today, Chicago Improv Festival. For more information, go to ChicagoImprovFestival.org. And of course, I want to thank you for listening and telling your friends about our podcast. Until next time, remember, walk, don't run.
7: Let's say uh, Seinfeld was on an island and he was blowing Boris Karloff.
0: What would would that be like?
1: (laughs) It might go something like this.
3: Oh mister Cough I loved you and Frankenstein and I love giving you a blow Why mister Sunfeld
1: I'd love
2: having you